Welcome to Coming Out Evil. I'm Harley Honey. And I'm Mick Sedusa. Join, Join our descent into, into villainy. villainy. Hi. So it's another solo episode. Hello, hello. We're going to talk about the oldest profession again. You might have noticed the title of this episode, The Return of the Oldest Profession. And that's because somehow in episode six, when I originally talk about full service sex work and sugar babies and OnlyFans models and all of that good stuff. I somehow neglected to talk about erotic dancers like entirely and I don't know how. (laughs) So we're gonna double back and dedicate a little bit of time to that especially since I literally am one myself. Like that's what gets me is that somehow I forgot about myself. So you know we're gonna work through it. So yeah, let's just jump in. There are a few odds and ends that I didn't cover. Like I actually did interview a full service sex worker to get their perspective on screening and the word prostitute and like promo sites and stuff. So their name is Bimbo Spice and they promote on either skipthegames.com, Twitter or Trist. And that's T-R-Y-S-T. They also do their own screening. So the way that they're screening process works is that they require ID to verify age and then that determines whether they can meet with someone. They felt like they had 60% confidence in their screening process. I asked them how they felt about their screening process. They thought that it would be ideal to require more references but that's just really difficult in this climate especially since I believe Backpage got yeeted so it's just really hard to screen clients now and so they talked a little bit about that as well. Then I asked about the word prostitute because this was something that I was curious about myself just because I don't see a lot of full service sex workers use that term to describe themselves and I was like hmm, I wonder if it's like offensive I wonder if it's a misnomer like maybe it's the connotation that's weird so I asked about that and they said that they didn't like that word because of the historical association with violence so that makes sense to me because full service sex workers were the victims of a great deal of violence back when that word was like the main descriptor you know so I can totally see the association then I asked about how they personally distinguish full service sex work and trafficking. I asked this because the law conflates these two things a great deal. So the law wants to save sex workers, but that's because the law thinks that sex workers are human trafficking victims. Like they just don't make a distinction. So they personally described the difference as consent based. They said the choice to sell your body consent is what the difference between full service and trafficking is to them personally. Now, (laughs) let's get into strippers, erotic dancers, and entertainers. There are so many euphemisms 
for a stripper like so many it has a really rich history stemming from sacred dances strip tease reviews burlesque that's what i do you know all sorts of things so the question is where did stripping start and that answer is actually incredibly complicated so let's get into it there are forms of stripping that can be traced to literally paleolithic cave paintings in the south of France. So those date more than 20,000 years ago, actually, which is wacky. Some other things that scientists have found is archaeologists have uncovered miniature statuettes of erotic dancers near the Black Sea regions of Bulgaria and Romania, and those date back to the Neolithic era. So the statues are estimated to be like over 9,000 years old. Then there's early recorded forms of striptease that could be seen as ancient ritual in these paintings and archaeologists and sociologists think that this was to gain the favor of goddesses of fertility and motherhood in hopes of like things like successful reproduction or to increase the fertility of crops and whatnot. So during the height of Greek and Roman empires, erotic and lewd stripteases were also performed by priestesses. So this is happening in these sacred places, in these sacred temples within the empire, and that was normal at the time. In the 14th century, the beginning of erotic dancing in the Middle East came in the form of belly dancing at first. So it wasn't initially erotic in nature or always erotic in nature, but stripping definitely has a lot of roots in belly dancing, and it eventually became customary for spectators to toss coins and other valuables at belly dancers. So the, you know, throwing money, like that's where that comes from. And belly dancers were among the first people said to be paid for removing clothing. If we hop over to 18th century Europe, there were what was coined ladies of the court who were paid to erotically entertain, you know, to be flirty and seductive during big celebrations and banquets and things. During this time, also, female courtesans popularized the hand fan. So if you've ever seen burlesque, you might recognize like the concept of an ostrich fan or a fan dance. This is where that's from. So fans were placed over their faces to only show like seductive eyes and they were used centrally as a prop, you know? So they would also do some dance moves and generally were going for an air of mystery. So that's what the fans added. That that's the element. Then, you know, let's hop over to Britain in the 1800s because they had burlesque houses. Originally, burlesque performers and other dance shows incorporated a complete act. So that meant that it was like a combination of music, singing, like humor dance, sexual parody, some stripping, you know, so it was all part of a large adult show. And not long after that, the profitable burlesque industry discovered the thing that was attracting the masses and that was sex you know so they leaned into the sexual parts of the show over time until those took over 
Bar. So it became a variety show, including striptease, but mostly striptease. You know what I'm saying? So it really went from things like risque musicals to full-blown burlesque shows the way that you might recognize one today. You probably are in the U.S. Like, that's very likely according to our demographics. So if you've ever been to an American burlesque show, it's used to be series of performers that were maybe followed by a burlesque dancer. So again, with the like including a nudie element at the end of a show that was like mostly not nude and over time incorporating more nude elements. Now, American burlesque, I will say, has a rich history of blackface because of this. Because in the US at this time, you know, in the 1800s, people were entertaining themselves with blackface. So if there was a variety show that ended in burlesque, then oh, probably the variety show part included blackface. Maybe even the burlesque dancer at the end was in blackface. So yeah, but the American burlesque industry was the first to kind of let the burlesque take over and be the majority of the show. Then we get to the advent of cheesecake or pinup photography. So burlesque dancers spurred the whole idea of being like cute and sensual in a picture, you know, seductive, but not too seductive. Like that was the pinup or cheesecake photography of the time. So the mixture of pinup, because technically it's two different things, pinup and cheesecake photography, because pinup is like a style. So the mixture of pinup and burlesque is what created or birthed cheesecake as a concept, but a lot of people use cheesecake and pinup interchangeably, especially burlesque stars, because in theory, it's not possible to be doing burlesque and also pinup because that makes it automatically cheesecake. It gets a little funky, these words, but yeah, burlesquers are responsible for those cute little pinup cheesecake photos that you see, those vintage photos that got like sent to sailors and whatnot, like burlesquers invented that. I also do want to talk a little bit about what black burlesquers specifically were experiencing at this time. So black burlesquers actually didn't even call themselves burlesquers. They tended to call themselves shakers instead. And it just literally was because people were used to segregating things and black people can't be doing something as classy as burlesque clearly this is something different. So we're gonna call them shakers. And you know, why argue with the people? Black burlesquers also tended to be publicized as exotics and producers would use descriptions for shows that included them, like using words like jungle fever or words like voodoo mistress on posters and playbills. Because again, it was every effort to distinguish white burlesque from black burlesque. And quite honestly, it happened often that women of color, specifically black women, were only booked if they were performing in acts that also embraced like some kind of racist stereotype. So if they were doing a bad like voodoo themed act or something, that's what would get them booked. They couldn't just be classic burlesquers. They had to be like voodoo shakers or jungle mistresses and it's horrible. Now, despite all the 
this, there are still pretty famous historical Black burlesquers that we know of. Like, tons of Black women managed to grind and become successful at this. Like Ethel Waters, aka Sweet Mama Stringbean. So she kind of named herself after her body type and Sweet Mama is a classic burlesque name, you know? So Sweet Mama Stringbean, I just love that name. And I actually have a quote from her. She says, I sure knew how to roll and quiver and my hips would become whirling dervishes. So that's Ethel Waters, badass bitch, very infamous. You should totally look her up and learn all about her. We can also talk about Jean Ideally. Okay, so she actually was a trained dancer. She went to the Catherine Dunham School of Dance and was discovered in Chicago and actually wound up making $12,000 per year. In today's money, that's $125,000 per year at 22 years old. And she traveled with an otherwise all-white burlesque unit. So that's what enabled her to be so successful is kind of being a accompanied by white women and the chances are she was still getting paid less than the rest of her troupe like at the end of the day but that was still very impressive at the time and she deserves all her flowers so let's depart from burlesque a little bit and go back to some classic stripping modern stripping the way that you might know of it or recognize it first appeared in the 1800s it's known today as the striptease the art of the striptease you know this dance was like kinder gradual like softer and more sensual way to get naked than just simply taking off your clothes so the striptease as we know it now didn't always exist that way you know with all the musicality you know the bumps and grinds that's new that had to develop over time in the 1800s stripping could go all the way down to pasties a g-string or even full nudity and striptease influenced other forms of erotic dancing because not all erotic dancing at this time was striptease remember like things like specific kinds of belly dancing that wasn't striptease at the time until it eventually became striptease or came to incorporate striptease you know one of these erotic striptease infused belly dances was known as the hoochie coochie and it was actually introduced in philadelphia shortly after that the french can can appeared in a cabaret in paris and the can can also spread to the u.s and became very popular sorry to be back on burlesque briefly but i actually myself am a burlesker and have performed in philly countless times and philly really does have a very rich history of burlesque like you can feel it when you go to a burlesque show there highly recommend maybe you'll even see me <laughs> So that's how striptease, you know, kind of came about. But what about pole dancing? Because that's also a pretty important tenet of like modern day stripping in clubs that we see. So pole dancing was actually incorporated first in the circus in the 20th century, like around the 1920s. So the tent pole was worked into their striptease routines in the circus. And that is the first genuine appearance of a stripper's pole. So sometimes circuses would have like adult shows. So this adult circus show, the 
people would incorporate their circusy skills you feel me so they would tease by like climbing to the top of the tent pole and grabbing the pole swirling around it and eventually the tent pole became known as the dance pole and that is indistinguishable from poles and strip clubs now so that's why i would never fuck with a stripper you know because they literally do the same things that circus performers do <laughs> like i don't want the smoke mm -mm, mm -mm. in the mid 1950s pole dancing graduated from happening in circus tents to happening in bars and clubs who wanted to also cater to this particular kind of adults show right so this was bars and clubs infringing upon basically like a circus thing they were like "Ooh, we see that that looks successful let's steal it so that's why there are dance poles in bars and clubs and stuff also around the 1950s it became more common for strippers to incorporate like elaborate costumes so things that involved sequins or feathers stuff like that all became part of the showmanship and this also has overlap with burlesque because you might know burlesquers love a good rhinestone in the 1960s and 1970s the u.s saw a big increase in the number of strip clubs that existed during this so-called like hippie era society was going through like a sexual revolution phase and so a majority of people were becoming outwardly more accepting of nudity and sexuality and so adult entertainers and strippers would survive like very difficult periods of time despite lots of public protest because people wanted them around you know like people like watching strippers and they're going to persist though the strip club is totally one of the first indicators of recession like if the strip club is empty things are terribly wrong so things have to be pretty bad for people to not want strippers doing their thing and so despite public protest and strict city regulations and just general public scrutiny strippers persisted past the 60s and 70s in fact during the 1970s and 80s nearly all strip clubs were like upgrading by incorporating stripper poles on stage so it wasn't just some bars and clubs that had poles now it was just commonplace to have a pole in the 70s and 80s so artistic pole dance and tricks are really popular in american strip clubs and that's why now the next thing that i want to talk about or the next evolution rather that happened in strip clubs was the concept of a lap dance or contact dancing so dancing where the dancer is touching you right and that actually originated in montreal in canada in the early 1990s so lap dances are a pretty modern advent it wasn't always legal in the u.s though so it only eventually made its way to the united states legally in 1999 so lap dancing has only been legal the past like 23 years <laughs> which is a pretty absurd you know and now literally people take classes on this stuff that's something that i want to talk about a little bit is that all of this rich 
history leads up to pole dancing and lap dances and striptease being so ubiquitous that you can go sign up for a class to learn how to do it like as a cute little gimmick for your bachelorette party you know and it sucks because clearly people are so inspired by erotic dancers and entertainers but we don't actually get any respect on our name for doing that, for being that inspiration, because we suffer from so much media censorship. It's absurd. The fact that you can go on TikTok and see videos from a pole class, but if I posted a video of me doing any kind of pole dance on my account, that would get taken down. Because one is a sex worker and one is not. And that's really what boils down to it, is that non-sex workers can use our aesthetics can use our strategies, can use our lingo and get away uncensored online. But if a sex worker does any of their own stuff, well, now everyone's up in arms. Now, if you're curious about learning more about the stuff that I talked about, you can always go to our website, which is going to be linked in the description of this episode, and check out the sources under sources. I just want to end on a note, which is a quote by Josephine Baker, who was an American-born French dancer, singer, and actress. And she just says something that I value so much as a burlesque performer. I was really naked. I simply didn't have any clothes on. Thanks for joining me. Music by Audionautics.com.